everyone. You're listening to Ed Young Radio, Ed Pastors Fellowship Church, and we want to thank you for listening with us. These next few minutes together can change your life, and you can always hear more by visiting edyoung.com. Enjoy the message. In my hand, I have a big can of Play-Doh. Play-Doh, it's just an amazing product, wouldn't you say? I read this past week, over two billion cans, two billion containers of Play-Doh has been sold. It started out as a wallpaper cleaning product, and then the owners and the inventors of Play-Doh thought, wow, kids will like this. So in the late 1950s, it was introduced, and look at this, Play-Doh. Surely everyone's heard about Play-Doh here. I mean, come on, Play-Doh, this ubiquitous product. I thought I would just make something a little bit, if you'll give me a little bit of time. You know, it's, this stuff is, is great. You have to keep it, of course, in this canister. It's pliable, right, moldable. There's something therapeutic about playing with Play-Doh. I don't know what I can make. One of my favorites is a uh, snake. I like to make snakes from Play-Doh. I do. Let me, let, me, let me see if I can make one right quick. Put my Bible right there. I bet you're kind of shocked that you came to church today to see someone make a Play-Doh snake. I went to the zoo a couple of days ago and saw a bunch of interesting snakes. You guys ever been to the Dallas Zoo? We were there, it was over 100 degrees. (laughs) But the snakes were happy, they were in this climate controlled environment. That's a pretty good snake so far. Then let's, let's make him a poisonous snake, like you know, the triangle head, you know, whoa, when you see that. I mean, I know sometimes non-poisonous snakes have triangle heads, but this one is gonna be, I mean, that's, I mean, that's pretty realistic to me, looking. You, maybe he's a rattlesnake, I don't know, and you know, you, you have, you, you like, look, he's ready to strike. Ah, yeah, you know, I love it. Let me make a face right quick. This is under pressure. Okay. Uh, there are the eyes. You get a good shot of this? Okay, for the nose. That's okay. Nice nose. You know, Dallas is the place of nose jobs, so. You gotta kind of fill in the, the cheeks there. Let's make him nice mouth. Hmm. It's pretty good. And then make You guys must be desperate clapping for this. 
Put him some hair. Yeah. Okay. It's pretty good. Hey, what's up, man? <laughs> I'm just Play-Doh, man. You know. Again, though, if you don't like it, you just, you know. Yeah. And then, then you're ready. Well, today I'm going to talk about, thank you, cameraman. Today I'm going to talk about the next level of Play-Doh because basically in the sixth grade, from the sixth grade on up, when we go to, to school and we take some art, we graduate from Play-Doh to the real deal, clay. And then it gets very, very interesting. And most of us, quite frankly, give up on Play-Doh, and then we give up on clay because after all, we're not Michelangelo's, right? So we're like, okay, and now and then we'll play with Play-Doh. God talks about Play-Doh. And he talks about how he forms a life. God talks about how he deals with you and how he deals with me. You might have walked in here today. You could be at one of our campuses. You might be in Florida. You could be in Dallas or Fort Worth or at Lasso Ranch or in one of our prison campuses. And I'm gonna tell you in no uncertain terms, these aren't my words, these are God's words, how God molds our lives. Now, it's kind of interesting. It's, it's uh, sort of crazy, I would say, because rarely do we think about, okay, how does God work in my life? People say, God is working in my life. God is doing great things. What does that process look like? Well, God taps a man on the shoulder named Nehemiah, I mean, not Nehemiah, Jeremiah, it's another Maya, Jeremiah, he taps, he also tapped Nehemiah on the shoulder as well, that's a whole other story, and Nehemiah built some cool stuff, but this is not Nehemiah, this is Jeremiah, Jeremiah. See, I have a processing disorder, I get confused a lot of times with names, you know, I'll call my kids, uh, our dogs' names, and our dogs, our kids' names, and our grandkids, Lisa's names, and all sorts of things. I've always done that. I don't know why, but it's some sort of a processing problem. Jeremiah, though, I do know this, was the man God said, hey, Jeremiah, I'm going to take you somewhere, and I'm going to give you a visual aid. I'm going to give you a metaphor, and this metaphor should really change the course of your life, and it should change the course of my people's lives. God's people weren't really doing that great. Basically, they had a loop from hell and this, and this loop said, do your own thing. Mold your own life. Shape your own potential. Don't allow God to make and mold your life because it's not gonna be that great. God really isn't that Good, And we've learned here that, that the first lie from the enemy is the fact that God is really not that good, that God is really not working in your life, that God really does not have an amazing plan for your life. What we're going to find out, God has a crazy good agenda for every single life here. Now that's a positive word, man. That's outstanding. And the Bible says we're hardwired to live by this plan. We're not wired to live 
contrary to God. We're made to go in his flow to be a part of his agenda. Well, God's people weren't really doing things right. As I said, it was rinse and repeat. They went through this vicious cycle. Jeremiah, and he was called the weeping prophet, had to talk to, to this nation about some bad stuff, man. Some really bad stuff. He had to tell God's people, hey, judgment is coming in the form of the Babylonians. They're gonna come in and take control, take you captive, and it's not gonna be nice. The Bible says a lot about some of these issues. In the book of Psalms, Psalm 9, verse 17, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately corrupt. I'll say this again. When you have kids, you don't teach them how to disobey. You don't teach them how to go their own way. You teach them, we have to teach them and train them about the things of God. We teach character, we teach aptitude, we teach good stuff. In our natural state, we aren't good. We have great potential. I'll say it again, we aren't good. And Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful, man. But then he goes on, as I said earlier, when we rebel against God, we basically, as a nation or as an individual, we're turned into hell. Think about our culture today. We're turning into hell. Think about this Marxerita that we're drinking. Most are intoxicated with the Marxerita. It's a combination of Marxism, it's a combination of postmodernism, and lastly, critical race theory. We've stirred it all up, and we're drinking it, and we're totally and completely intoxicated. What's right is wrong, and what's wrong is right. Even though Marxism has taken over 110 million lives, murdered that many people, imprisoned over a billion in our schools, in the media, in so many different slices of life, we're embracing this stuff. We think it is great, it's sexy, it's the answer. <laughs> There's only one problem. Study your history. It's never worked. So what we're dealing with is just what Jeremiah was dealing with. You have a nation that has totally gone off the rails and the judgment of God is impending. God will judge sin. He will judge nations. He will allow them to turn into hell. Now, some of you are like, oh, Ed, come on, man. You're overstating this. Are you kidding me? Hey, let me tell you something. They're coming after you. They are coming after Christ's followers. 
is spiritual warfare. What we're dealing with is, is, is not some Candyland game or Monopoly or, or just some um, philosophy. No, no, no. They're coming after you. They're coming after me. Thus, we need to own that fact and understand that fact. Obviously, God has a great plan for your life and mine. Obviously, if our nation repents, there's an opportunity for us to go back to God. But I just wanted to tell you, we are living in perilous times, in very difficult times, a lot like Jeremiah. Because Jeremiah was like, hey guys, the fire's gonna fall. I hate to be a bearer of bad news, but difficulty is going to come. Now there were other prophets, false prophets, who were like, everything's okay. God is for you. I'll forget Jeremiah. He's negative. These are like, these were like happiness prophets. They got all the clicks and all the likes and wrote all the books and everyone loved them. God is great. God is good, right? Well, God is great. God is good. Well, let's talk about the rest of the story because God allows the consequences of your sin and mine, of a nation's sin, to hit the coastline. And it's not always pretty because the moral fiber in our nation is coming unraveled. The foundations are tattered. Just think about the developing babies that we kill. Just think about people who say, well, I'm a man, but you know, I feel like a girl and I deserve minority status and that's cool and that, that's absolutely insane. The apostle Paul talked about it in the book of Romans. God comes to a point where he just gives people over to their own desires. And that is tough. So, so God says, Jeremiah, I want you to go down to the potter's house and I want you to watch this potter work on some clay. And, and don't you know, Jeremiah was like, what, what, what is this? A little visual lesson for, for, for this guy. God gives Jeremiah, again, this point. He says, Jeremiah, I want you to understand your amazing potential. Look at Jeremiah chapter 18. Oh, Israel. Can I not do to you as the potter has done to this clay, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so you are in my hand. And then in the New Testament book of Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, it says that we are God's workmanship. In other words, we're masterpieces. If we allow God to paint and to mold and to shape our lives, we're created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Jeremiah walks into the potter's house, three things. Number one, the potter. The potter is the star of the show. The potter is the Lord. Number two, the clay. We're the clay. I think it's fascinating, God created us from the dust of the ground. He literally formed us, he molded us, the ultimate sculpture. Then, at the right time, he breathed life into us. But basically, we're just clay, we're just dirt. Ugly, it's kind of useless, it's just kind of there. 
But in the hands of the potter, the potential is absolutely amazing. So God is the potter. The clay would be you and me. And, and Jeremiah was picking this up. The wheel, the potter's wheel that he controls with his foot, that's the circumstances of life. And someone who knows this art, and this is an ancient art, understands how to work the wheel, understands how to caress the clay, understands how to mold the clay into a beautiful vessel. So this potter is thinking, okay, how can I make a vessel that'll make me a prophet? And also, how can I make a vessel that'll be useful? Our heavenly potter is the same. He molds you and makes you. He molds me and makes me so we can turn a profit for the kingdom of God. Also, he does that so we can be useful to him. God knows how you can be the most useful. He knows how I can be the most useful. It's a beautiful thing. I remember back when I was a kid, we used to vacation in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Anyone ever been to Myrtle Beach? You know the nickname of Myrtle Beach? Dirty Myrtle. I understand that, I do. There was a pavilion with these rides and things. And I remember going to this pavilion and, 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 and my favorite ride was this ride called the Himalaya. The Himalaya would just go round and around and around. The music would be bumping and thumping and I used to love that. And as I got older, I realized if I could sit in the car, one of the little cars, with a girl, Lisa of course, the centrifugal force of the Himalaya would throw us together. You might be sitting on separate sides of the car, yet once the Himalaya started going, there you were. And, and, and there, was a, there was an announcer. He would, he, would, he would, you know, talk over, let's say, a song by the Bee Gees or Earth, Wind, and Fire. I'm, I'm, I'm dating myself. He would go, do you want to go fast? Everybody would scream, yes! Do you want to go faster? Yes! Because I wanted to sit closer, right? <laughs> and then he would say, do you want to go real, real fast? And then he would crank up, whatever, and I'll be right there by that special someone. The potter's wheel has a centrifugal force. The potter takes the clay, it's just useless, formless. Chops it and prepares it and prepares it and chops it. And months and months and months, he lets it sit and he, 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 he takes it and then he throws it on the wheel. Then he starts that wheel. He goes around and around and around. Notice this. The potter has to stay in contact with the clay constantly. And the centrifugal force forces the clay into the hands of the potter. Many times we feel the pressure. Many times we feel the heat. 
We feel things that aren't always pretty, yet if we submit and yield to the potter, he's going to make something absolutely awesome out of our lives. But I don't know about you, I wanna jump off of the potter's wheel. I wanna get away from the hand of God. That's just kind of my natural tendency. And this is the second thing I wanna share with you. You have a tendency, so do I, to resist the potter's hands. The potter takes his hand off of us. What happens to the clay? Hits the wall. Or we just jump off and we say, I am gonna mold my own life. How stupid would I look if I could bring back Michelangelo, the brilliant sculptor, and go, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, sculpt, and you just stay there, and let me show you, I'll, I'll do what I'm going to do. I'll, I'll make this priceless, the, the, that would be absolutely ludicrous, wouldn't it? Yes, yeah. so many of us do that, don't we? And God allows us to face those consequences, like he allowed the nation to face their consequences, like he allows others to face those consequences. We have a choice of free will in the matter. That's why in Jeremiah 18:4, the Bible says these words, and the vessel that he made of clay was marred. It was marred, it was inconsistent. The potter knows the clay so well, if he feels a rock, a hard place, something that's not right, it's marred. Ed, I don't feel God working in my life. Ed, I don't feel like God is really using me. There's probably an inconsistency, a rock, a difficult place that the potter has pointed out Yet we don't want to deal with it. We don't want to hear the truth. A couple of days ago, I was in a conversation with a consultant and he was going through some of the leadership team here and he, he got to me and he was just kind of going through my strengths as a person. I was like, wow, I'm feeling good, man. <laughs> then he looked at me and he said, do you want to hear the other side? I go, wait a minute, you mean like my weaknesses, the bad stuff? He goes, yeah. He goes, are you ready for the straight whiskey, he said. I said, yes. And then he began to tell me things like, Ed, you can move so fast, you can drown people around you. Ed, you have so many ideas, you don't realize what it takes to implement these ideas. Ed, you're not a detailed person at all, but you need people in your life who are detailed. I mean, those, <laughs> that, that was not easy to absorb. Thankfully though, Lisa took this test and she scored the opposite of me. And that's good. Do you want the straight whiskey from God? I'm sorry about that metaphor, but that's what my friend said, the consultant said. Do you want to know your inconsistencies, that hidden sin, that rock, that place that's not right? 
there's a great chance that is what's keeping you and keeping me from going to the next level. So the, so the potter, I love this, knew the clay was marred, and you know what he did? The same clay, he started over again. That's what the Bible says. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to make sense. Isn't that awesome? God is a God of a second chance. Isn't that awesome? When God feels that sin by his providence and sovereignty, by his goodness, he just starts over. He remakes you and remakes me and I'm so thankful to God that he's that way, aren't you? You have amazing potential. But we have this tendency, because it's our nature, my nature, to sin, to resist. I think I know best. But also, too, notice this. We have a desire to repent. What does repentance mean? It's part of the gospel. To become a follower of Christ, there has to be repentance. It means a change of direction. I'm going in one direction. God's going another. I turn from my sin. Repent, repent, repent is throughout scripture. But this word is gonna be used in a unique way in Jeremiah 18, beginning with verse six. God said, can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord, like clay in the hand of the potter, so you're in my hand? If at any time I announce that a nation or a kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, and if that nation, I warn, repents, isn't that great, of its evil, you, me, or this nation, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. I repent, God repents. And this word repentance is, is, a, is a deep word. Many scholars don't even translate it properly. It means to breathe a sigh of relief. The potter is on the wheel. We, we repent and we go God's direction. We don't fight him anymore. And God has this incredible sigh. <sighs> awesome, God says. Or if we fight it, he goes, oh. It's like you're on the 18th green and you're putting to win with your foursome and you push it to the right. <sighs> A negative sigh. Well, here's something else that, that I want you to notice about the potter and the wheel. You, you really don't want to rebel. I, I'm just gonna tell you, you, you don't want to rebel. You don't want to harden your heart. Most sermons would end right here and I could end on a crescendo. God has the best in store for you. You're the head, not the tail. His plans are abundant. It's mighty, it's awesome. And everyone stands, yeah! and you leave here all fired up. And that's true. That's a fact. But we have to preach the whole counsel of God because is God all about 
forming us and molding us and shaping us and making us? Yes. Is God all about life change? Yes. Is God all about the second chance? Yes. It doesn't matter what you've done, where you are, how far away from God, if you repent, God will change your life. But this last little part, if we harden our hearts, there's gonna be a time when it's too late. There will be a time when we cross over the deadline and we're done. So in Jeremiah 19, I won't read it for you, but he takes a vessel out to an area, the Valley of Hemnon, which was a garbage dump where the fires just continued to burn. And he took this vessel in front of the leaders, smashed it. It's a metaphor of hell. God is patient, the Bible tells us, with you and me. He wants everyone to come to repentance. How long have you tasted? How long have you tested the patience of God? Don't get to this point where you become so callous, so unpliable, that you, not God, choose eternal separation from him. That's why now, the Bible says, is your time of salvation. Now is the time to become a believer. Well, this Play-Doh has been fun. And for this Play-Doh to really thrive and survive, it's gotta go back into his house, right? One of the ways, the key ways that we thrive and survive is to be a part of this house, the potter's house. We're pliable, we're workable, and we discover our amazing potential in the hands of the potter. Father, thank you for this message, this difficult message, Lord, and I pray that we would repent and totally and completely turn to you. I thank you for our great church. I thank you for just your word that's so clear to us. I pray that our nation would come back to you. And I pray that this revival would start with me and you. We ask all these things in Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening and thanks to all who give so generously to this ministry. It's because of you that we can continue this show and equip people with the hope of heaven. You can click the link in the description to support the show or visit edyoung.com. There you can also be resourced with bonus content for free, including a daily devotional. We also encourage you to share the message today with those around you. Thank you again for listening. God bless.